Thrust Metal Podcast with Roy Culver of Nuclear Blast Records. Hosted by Dan Terry. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Discuss Metal Podcast. My name is Dan. I will be your host for this evening or any evening that you're listening to this podcast. If you're if I'm not the host, then you're probably not listening to this podcast or watching it. Uh, we are doing this one live, and I am excited to announce our guest tonight, who is Roy Culver. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. Thank you, Dan. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting. You and I have been you and I have actually been Facebook friends for I want to say almost two years. Um, mm-hmm. Whenever I first started interviewing people for the podcast, you know, we'd become Facebook friends, and that's how we would communicate. And what I always thought was funny is that, like, as soon as you're friends with somebody in a band, um, suddenly all of their friends show up on your Facebook feed as recommended people that you should talk to, um, which is something you absolutely want to um, approach with caution. You don't want people to think you're Mm -hmm. Facebook stalking them. Uh, And I think that was what it was. Um, I remember I I sent you a friend request. You accepted. And then we just didn't communicate for two years. But we did in a way because we communicated more via like comments on Facebook mm-hmm. groups that we were on together and yeah. stuff. And um, it was one of those things where like, I, it's funny because I've got a list of like the top 10 people that I want to talk to. And you've always been on the list. And I, for hmm. some reason waited this long uh, <laughs> to do the, uh, to do the interview. And uh, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm super excited that, uh, that you had time tonight and uh, yeah. that we can get into kind of some of the, some of the stuff that I find interesting, hopefully the uh, listeners find it interesting as well. But nice. at the end of the day, it really only matters if I find it interesting. So, <laughs> um, you know, if you guys don't know Roy, I'm going to let him uh, tell. Uh, I'm going to let him tell his uh, his story to an extent. This doesn't have to be an autobiography. But what I do want to start with is just what got you into music in the sense of it doesn't necessarily even have to be heavy music. Uh, but what got you into music as far as uh, it being a, a, a kind of a, a central thing in your life, like more than just uh, entertainment? Well, that's a good question. Um, well, you know, I, I grew up in rural Kentucky, right in the central part of Kentucky. So kind of the South Midwest area. Um, music was such a big part of my family. Like I remember, you know, my youngest years sitting around the kitchen table listening to your know, mom and dad always had the uh, radio on. It's always country music primarily. Um, and then I got, you know, discovered that there was other music out there. My first record I think I ever bought was, um, Culture Club actually. Okay. Um, yeah, that was my first one. And, uh, it, it showed me that there was something else going on outside of the, you know, the little farm that I grew up on. Um, the next big artist I got into was Prince. Prince was like, he introduced me to the guitar really. Um, as far as like, you know, just rock and, uh, I mean, and he, and he was uh, again, someone that introduced me to a whole different world. I mean, he talked about you know, you know, religion, he talked about sex, he talked about all these things that were, you know, interesting to me as like a 12 year old or a 10 year old or, you know, whatever. Um, and then, you know, as, as it went on, I got into stuff like Depeche Mode and things like that. But, you know, I, I was on the periphery of, you know, I heard bands like Guns N' Roses and Poison and Motley Crue and all this. Again, this was like the mid late eighties. Um, and, and that was what I kind of knew about hard music then. Um, and a friend gave me a copy of uh, Master of Puppets by Metallica, and um, it was over after that. I like, bet. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was like, whatever this is, 
I want this. This was like, I, I, it was my thing. And so, uh, you know, I was picking up every magazine I could find that was about, you know, that was had Metallica in it, just trying to figure out who they were and, you know, learning about all these other bands, you know, bands like Slayer and Megadeth and, and stuff like that. And Metallica was always a great band. Um, and I think probably just in general bands back then, you know, they, they, in their interviews, they would call out other bands, like, you know, this is a band that influenced us. And I mean, through Metallica, I learned about, you know, the Misfits and, um, uh, Venom and Motorhead and so many other bands and, um, you know, and then getting into Slayer and stuff like that. I mean, it was just kind of, you know, from there, I, I, uh, yeah, I just kind of went with it and, and it was a music that spoke to me. Um, and then, you know, a little bit early, in the early nineties, I was in school, uh, in college and in, in Kentucky. And, um, I had a, it was a psychology class. I had a guy sitting next to me um who was into metal too like we we chose the city we probably both were wearing metal t-shirts and that's how we found each other and that entire see that entire semester uh we just wrote notes back and forth to each other about have you heard this band have you heard that band have you heard this band and i mean he turned me on to like napalm death and infernal majesty and, oh, Pestilence and all these other really like incredible bands um and so that's how kind of i got into like really diving deep into metal um, you know, and then there was other bands on the periphery of that bands like the exploited and suicidal tendencies and stuff that to me, it was all, it was all metal to me. I mean, even like the cramps, like I was learning about the cramps from somebody and, and it was strange, you know, it was so strange compared to what I, you know, those bands, but they were so different from what I had heard that it was just all part of that subculture to me that I loved. Um, and then, you know, I also, you know, some of the bands, you know, that you've had on, on here or talked about as well. And some, you know, other podcasts, bands like living sacrifice and, um, mortification and tourniquet and stuff like that. I learned about those bands, uh, deliverance and stuff like that. Um, it was, it's kind of funny. I, I re, you know, Facebook's been kind of a good way to, to re, you know, connect with people that I've never connected with before. And DJ from living sacrifice, uh, uh, one day he sent me a letter, uh, a copy of a letter. He said, uh, this is a letter you sent us back in like 1992 or something. DJ's um, good for stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, I mean, music was always a big part of my life and, um, you know, I moved to Nashville in 1994. Uh, at that point, I, you know, I was, I had kind of a different motive for my life. I thought I was probably going to be going into ministry. I thought that was kind of the direction I was headed. Um, some stuff kind of, you know, happened. And a couple of years later after that, I left, kind of left all that. Um, and the music was always uh, a consistent thing. And for me, I started just, I was like, well, what the hell am I going to do with my life now? Like, I thought I was going one way, but I'm not going this way anymore. And so, yeah, so I, I kind of jumped in. I got really, I started just going to tons of shows in Nashville, like particularly local, local hardcore metal shows, uh, getting to know some of the people. I, I started doing an online zine um, back then, like, you know, it was ridiculous, like geocities.com dot <laughs> slash yada, yada, yada. And so don't click on the ads. I, yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, so, you know, I, I started reaching out to, uh, you know, bands. I was like, like you were just like, we, we were talking about before the podcast was, you know, I just was like, I was a dumb kid who was like, you know, Hey, I've got this website that I'm doing, you know, interviews on or reviews on. And would you like to be on it? And at that time, you know, the internet was still, for me, it was a fun place to be because I was meeting so many different people and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I just started doing tons of interviews and just putting them online and, you know, victory records, revelation records. Um, I mean, I got connected with tooth and nail, uh, they sent me promos, um, just tons of different people. I was, I was kind of, you know, uh, excited to, 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 focus on their material. I interviewed Bruce from living sacrifice. 
uh, at one point. Um, but the, the, the thing is, is I, I just I really care about this and I wanted to be involved in it. Uh, I didn't know how, but I just wanted to be doing something. Um, and a friend of mine, Bonnie Carnes, had gotten a job at EMI Music in Nashville uh, and she worked in the sales department. And she had told me about a, a job opening there uh, in their department. And so I applied for it and, and uh, thankfully got that job, I think primarily because of my relationship with her. You know, they trusted her. And um, I remember my interview, it really didn't even talk about sales at all. It was just sort of <laughs> like, well, here it is. Here's the hours and da 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 da. And, um, but through that experience, you know, I worked there for two, about two years uh, working in sales and got to, because Tooth and Nail was one of the labels we distributed. Um, and Brandon, uh, I got to know Brandon through through that. And so he had talked to me and, um, you know, got to know, you know, the music I was into and, and that sort of stuff. And he invited me to fly out to Seattle and, and consider uh, working there, working at Tooth and Nail. And uh, I flew out there once um, and, and just. You know, I loved Seattle in, in a lot of ways, but but it just wasn't my vibe. Like my family in Nashville, my family lived like three hours away. And I had at that point in Nashville, I had a pretty huge circle of friends and right. a lot of people I really cared about and people that cared about me. And it was it was home. It was it was someplace I really liked. And so I came back and, and uh, turned that job down and kept working at EMI. And and he, you know, kept reaching out to me and and stuff. And um, about a year later, I uh, you know, had just uh, was kind of going through a lot of things and just said, man, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of Nashville. And um, so I reached out to Brandon and I was like, hey, you know, if you'll have me, I, I think I'm ready to come to Seattle. And I think maybe three weeks later, I was living in Seattle. It was super fast, um, you know, moving up there. And um, so, yeah, so that, that's kind of how I got into it. Uh, you know, it's, it's there's so much when it comes to, you know, I've had interns over the years who've had, you know, music business degrees and those sort of things. And, and there's no doubt those things are probably very helpful. Um, yeah. But for me, it was really about relationships and just working really hard and just kind of just damn luck. I mean, honestly, just, just luck coming, to, coming together. And, um, but also, you know, being someone who was somewhat trustworthy and could get things done and, and that sort of stuff. So um, that's not a long answer, but that's kind of, no, how I, that's I fine. It. I mean, it's interesting hearing you say that too. You're just like, yeah, I got a, I got a job at EMI. It's so funny because like when I grew up as a music fan, you know, having a, you know, a, a similar journey as far as like starting off is with kind of more bands that were popular at the time. And then slowly, like, you know, you hear a record like master of puppets and then you think about what you like about master of puppets. And mm -hmm. then you find bands that do that exact thing, you know, all the time or, or whatever. Yeah. And you, you start branching out and you start looking deeper and deeper for different things. Um, but like, I remember like as a teenager or even, even in my early twenties, I never thought that like, you know, working in the music business was something that I could just do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I could just like go apply for a job somewhere. Now, granted I'm from Missouri, right? So we didn't really have, you know, the music industry was, you know, obviously, um, very, very, very prominent in Nashville. So yeah. I could see those types of jobs getting posted. The best you could do here is like, you know, radio station intern. Uh, which mm -hmm. I which I did do and it was miserable, but uh, <laughs> you know, no pay, no pay, no money. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's really interesting too. How like you could make a connection like that, and uh, you know, you mentioned that you were going into ministry. I guess that is what was something that was appealing to you to get into, like kind of the the Christian market at the time, or because it was still relatively kind of new as far as like uh, heavier music went. You know. Mm -hmm. Um. So you were at um. So like if if you're at EMI, um, 
you know, what kind of, what, what was your like daily, you know, uh, sort of thing? Was it just sales mainly or? Yeah, I was just calling stores. I mean, and we, you know, we were starting to email people at that point, but it was still a lot of just phone calls. Um, and a lot of these were stores. I mean, most of them were Christian bookstores. That was the biggest part of what I was dealing with. Yeah. Uh, and I was also at that point in my life, just to be honest, I was, you know, I was at the point of like questioning my, my faith and, Sure. Uh, I mean, I grew up like so many people in the South and Midwest. I grew up, you know, uh, Catholic Christian background, um, but had, you know, a desire to do more uh, in that world. And yeah, so, I mean, when, uh, uh, you know, working at EMI, it wasn't really, it, for me, it was a, it was a, it was a job. It was a foot, it was a foot in the door of the music industry. I didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't know if, you know, if it would last one year, two years. Sure. I had, I had no idea. Um at that point, you know, when I was dealing with Christian bookstores, uh, and I don't mean to be offensive in any way, shape or form, but uh, most of them were very fundamentalist and very conservative. And a lot of the people I worked with were, were similar to that. And, and I was transitioning away from that. I was wanting to be away from that. And so it was really difficult. And, and uh, you know, that was part of the reason why, you know, when I moved, it seems odd maybe to think, well, you're leaving Nashville to get away from some of that and going to Tooth and Nail, a Christian label. But it was Tooth and Nail was a whole different thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, Nashville was, the religion was just embedded in the culture. It was just part of the, you know, part of the, it's just part of everything there. Uh, Seattle, that wasn't the case. Like Brandon and, and Tooth and Nail, uh, it was just a different, a whole different thing there. Uh, you know, most of the staff, um, you know, there were Christians on staff. There weren't Christians on staff. Um, you know, it was a whole mix of different kinds of people. And I loved it. And I love being in a city that, you know, uh, that there were so many ideas and it was, it was, you know, important to talk about things and not uh, necessarily fall in line behind a particular point of view. But um, I'm probably, I'm sorry. I probably have gone off from what you asked. No, you're fine. I, you know, it's honestly, uh, it's better. It's better for you to talk than to me. People hear me all the, <laughs> all the time, even if they don't want to. So <laughs> um, no, I think, I, I think that's cool. It's, it's something interesting too, because I always kind of wondered like, You'd see all these stories, you know, if you listen to like the label podcast, you hear about all these people who got their job at tooth and nail and, and sort of working there, you know, and, and for me, you know, when I was in high school, the thought of like working for tooth and nail or working for solid state was like the biggest possible deal, you mm. know, that, that it could, that yeah. it could be granted. I, I came up in a time where you could buy solid state releases in Best Buy, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, um, I know it was probably kind of a struggle from there. Um, uh, what, like, what time frame are we talking about as far as whenever you joined the label? I moved there in 2000. So I was there from 2000 to 2004. Okay. Uh, and my role at Tooth and Nail, when I came in, I was the head of Solid State. So I took over like uh, all the, you know, at that time, you know, the biggest bands on the label were Living Sacrifice, Zayo, Stretch Armstrong had already put out their first record. And Body Man had, had their first record out, Spitfire. Um, excuse me. Um, Body Man, yeah. Yeah, so, so those bands, you know, had it was already a pretty active, pretty active roster and things were already kind of humming there. Um, and then I also was the head of general market sales. So I was a person working with our distribution company, you know, to get records in Best Buy, to get records in, you know, at that time tower and, um, you know, indie stores across the country. And that was, you know, up, up until that point, primarily tooth and nails records were available primarily in Christian bookstores. That was where, you know, they sold most of their records and stuff like that. Sure. But we were really trying to, to go in that direction. And part of my goal, you know, at Solid State, um, and one of the things I also did in Nashville is I used to book shows there. There was a little small venue there uh, called IndyNet who would let me just kind of do whatever. Like I, they, they trusted me. And so I, you know, would do all sorts of different kinds of shows. So I got, to, I did some of the, you know, Tooth and Nail Solid State bands and um, 
you know, would talk to them about, you know, what they wanted to do, you know, with the future of the band and stuff like that. And many of them were just like, we, you know, they weren't comfortable playing churches, but there was, you know, they could make a living doing that. But what they wanted to do was play, you know, out with everybody else playing the same sort of music they did. And so, um, you know, one of the first things I did was like, I was just sending, you know, back, you know, just envelopes full of CDs to promoters and, uh, you know, other people at other labels and just saying, Hey, you know, check out some of these bands and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. And I, I mean, I made, you know, relationships, you know, future relationships that would go on to like, you know, I worked at Century Media for a while and worked at nuclear, you know, I'm working at nuclear blast now. So these all came from those, you know, relationships that I created, um, through that. So, so yeah, so I was there from 2000, 2004. Um, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a busy time, but it was, I learned so much there. I, um, I think frequently I'm like, man, if I could take what I know now and go back 20 years, I mean, all of us would say that about our lives, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I would love to go back and like attack solid state, uh, with that, you know, with the roster and the excitement that it was back then with the knowledge I have now, but, um, but it was an exciting time. I mean, and, and, you know, bands were getting opportunities, uh, to tour with larger artists. And, um, that was the first time, honestly, that I was seeing in that subculture that bands were making a living, uh, touring. It was become a full-time thing for people. Um, so it was, it was an exciting time, you know, for, for the bands and, um, just being on, you know, I felt like I was kind of on the ground floor that we, you know, the label was on a ground floor of, uh, really some exciting stuff happening, people discovering bands. I mean, I remember, you know, uh, promoters, you know, would call me and be like, you know, I had living sacrifice or I had Zayo here and I had like 800 people show up or 500 people show up and who are these bands? Who's this band? Yeah. 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 So um, it was an exciting time, you know, I'm putting together like the first solid state tour, you know, I, I don't even remember who all was on that. It was um, beloved and Norma Jean and those bands. I don't remember, but, but it was huge. Like it was so big and it was so exciting and, uh, there was so much cool stuff going on. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, that was my time there. I really didn't even sign that many bands while I was there. The bands that I signed, um, the agony scene, which I, I still love those guys. Still a I, personal favorite of mine. Yeah. Yeah, they're such a good band. I when I went when I went to Century Media, I brought those I, those guys had left Solid State to go to Roadrunner, and then uh, they did one record on Roadrunner, and then I brought them over to Century Media, and we did a record there, which I I still love that record. The record is uh, Get Damned. It's it's just like an incredible record. Yeah, it's a uh, barn burner. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a great record. But yeah, so like uh, the Agony scene, uh, Haste Today was another band that I brought in. Uh, those guys, you know, were, were different than what I was really into. They, they're more of, you know, at that time, more of a straight up metalcore band. Uh, but their manager at the time, Mark Lefay, I had gotten to know him really well. Um, he was a promoter in Indianapolis and he was one of those guys that was really, um, persistent. Uh, he, you know, he just, he would reach out to me when he was doing shows. Like I just knew what he, he always kept me up on what he was doing. Uh, so he had this band, you know, that called Haste Today that he was working with and they were, they were playing outside of Seattle and I went up to see them. And, and that night uh, after the show, I think it was Jimmy, the singer and Mark and I, we went to Denny's or something and just sat down and talked and, uh, pretty much I left and I was like, you know, I think we're going to work with these guys. I would love to work with these guys. And so you know, we, we did that eventually. And, uh, figure four, I brought over, they, they did a record or two on face down before they came to, to, uh, solid state. Um, it's funny that the story with, with figure four, we, uh, you know, I love that record that we put out. Uh, but when we were working out the deal with them, uh, they said, they were like, well, we've got this side band called comeback kid <laughs> that, you know, it's not important. It's not a big band, you know, it's just kind of something we're doing for fun on the side. And, 
Um, so, so they were like, well, we'd like to keep that separate from this deal, you know, cause a lot of times most record deals, um, you know, they're signing the, the band, but they're also signing the person signing so the members. Instance, right. So if you do yeah, something, exactly. then it's, yeah, yeah sure. It's yeah, it, the so label it's owns it to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, basically you're, you're saying, you know, the label has kind of the first right of refusal. So like if, if the band has like another project or even if they want to appear on another record or, you know, as like a special guest or something, a lot of times, you know, they're, they're going to want to talk to the label and get permission. Most labels, you know, are, I've never known a label that I'm aware of that I've worked with that ever said no to something like that. But, uh, but sometimes it is in the contract that you have to do that. Right. I mean, it's free promotion, right? Like if, yeah, yeah. if somebody's like, Hey, such so-and-so from X band is appearing on this band's album, then they're yeah. going to go check those albums out. Those albums are on your label. It, it's yeah. a win-win most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time it is. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's, it's not, but, but, but most of the time it, it is, and, and it's not a big deal. Um, I mean, when it becomes a deal, usually it's like when you have larger artists. I mean, I definitely, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely, when it comes to big labels where there's a lot of money floating around that they get real picky and smell, smell some, some profit they can make from it. And sometimes they'll cause some problems, but sure. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I'm sorry, I've kind of went off into a tangent. You're, you're but, um, good. You're, I mean, you're telling a cohesive story. You're, you're, okay. you're keeping up, but you're keeping up better than I can. Uh, I just wanted to throw in too, like, you know, if you were uh, a couple of things and what one is to back up a little bit more. Uh, the first one is how, how hard was it to sell these bands like living sacrifice in Zao to these kind of fundamentalist, uh, sort of institutions like, um, like your Christian bookstores and stuff like that. Cause like, I, I would imagine that that would have been difficult or they would have at least asked to hear it prior to, mm-hmm. you know, selling it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there were, there were, um, there were some great stores. I mean, there were, there were some good people who knew the music, cared about the music. Um, but then there were stores that, uh, resentfully carried music, you know, who were <laughs> like, I don't like this. I don't feel like it's, you know, they had lots of reasons for why they didn't want to carry it, but this is where their capitalism came in is it sells records. So, right. you know, we'll bring this in. And so, um, I've told Brandon this years ago, I guess I can tell it now it's been, it's been decades since I statute there, of but, limitations. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I worked there for a while, like I would deal with these bookstores that I could tell the people were just clueless. Like they had no idea. They didn't want to talk to me. They, uh, you know, they just didn't, they didn't care, you know, they, and, and sometimes, you know, people would want to fight about theological things with me. And I was like, get away from me. But like, um, dude, I'm not really into that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's just like, I, you're wanting some theological explanation for a 16 year old's lyrics. That's what it came down to sometimes. You totally. Know? Like, I'm glad you brought that up because like, that was something that I, 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 I interviewed somebody a lot like last year about, we were talking about how like people took the emotions of broken kids mm-hmm. and, and made them into this like bulletproof sales pitch where it was like, yeah, but they're Christians. So like, yeah. this is all going to be theologically rooted. I listened to a lot of records that came out on solid state and face down and, and you know, other Christian labels. And, and like, honestly, these are just kids that were just like us growing up that have the yeah. same problems. And even, mm-hmm. even, I mean, in certain cases, the same fucked up views on things. Yeah. You know, that, that they were either indoctrinated with or, yep. you know, I like from my personal experience being in a band, you know, our band had a pastor like the pastor that oh, would wow. like that would like kind of like he didn't he didn't like sit down and dissect my lyrics like he's a super cool guy. I still talk to him now he, like a good dude. But just the idea of um, 
just the idea of like having a pastor as your like spiritual guide or whatever gives off this sort of appearance of like when we were kids we would just say what we thought we had to say like Mm -hmm. when, when i was in a band i wrote lyrics about god because I thought that that was what would make people happy. Like some of them, mm-hmm. some of them were legitimately a- about that. You know, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a difference between God and the religion aspect of it. Sure. You know, so like some of the songs were sincere and from the heart, but there were definitely some songs that I wrote just to get some attaboys, you know, from people <laughs> that were, you know, and I, I think a lot yeah. of, I think a lot of the bands went, were that way. Yeah. Um, and I almost think that in a certain sense, the industry was kind of set up that way. It was. I mean, that's the thing is, um, man, I, I, this is a can of worms, worms that I can spend some time on. I but, know. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no. But I think it's 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 good to hear this stuff. Um, you know, in the 80s and 90s uh, in particular, that's you know the era that I was kind of part of evangelical Christianity. Um, it was a lot of marketing that people were using these, you know, using Jesus, using Christianity to market things, um, you know. It was gross. I mean, I, I didn't realize it at the time until much later. It's like, this is just nothing but a sales pitch. This is what this stuff is. And so, yeah, so I think, you know, and that's why, you know, a lot of folks, I think, you know, you get disillusioned with this. You you, you enter, enter into it with, with a level of sincerity and realize, you know, that this is, for, and I'm not talking about all of Christianity. I'm talking about a very specific milieu of where we came from, of, uh, you know, this is, a lot of it is marketing. And, uh, but yeah, so. You know, I think there were definitely some bands that probably, you know, geared towards that. But getting back to the Christian bookstores and stuff, you know, um, there were some great people, but there there was it was also challenging too. Uh, you know, people didn't trust the music. Oh, the thing I was gonna get to about uh that I had some couple decades now between me and probably talk about. Um, so like I said, I would talk to these bookstores that were uh I knew sold tons of music, um, but they just were resistant to the music or whatever it was. So I would take their order for like other things, you know, they wanted, you know, pop, pop rock, whatever. Right. You had that. Yeah. You yeah. Had, and then I would, uh, then what was I would, it? Um, Beck, you know, the stuff coming out on Beck. Oh, BC. Yeah. 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 The Christian, the, oh. yeah. The Christian, you know, bookstores probably love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that stuff was more straight ahead, told them exactly what they wanted to hear, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but what I would do is I would send them these orders for stuff they wanted, but then I would slip in like Zayo. I'd slip in living sacrifice. I'd slip in, you know, these other things. Um, Because first of all, I knew they'd never know about it. They'd never have any idea. And secondly, I knew they'd sell it, you know, if they put it out there. And so that's, you know, uh, Brandon laughed when I told him that because I was like, this was, but it was just like, I knew that we could sell this music. Yeah. I knew that fans wanted this music. You just had to get past the gatekeepers to get it on the shelves. And so, uh, and I'm not saying I did that to everybody, no way at all, shape or form, but, but there were, you know, there were times where I was like, I know I can help you if you'll just let me. <laughs> let well, you me did, you. though. I mean, you sold it to me. I'd have been the kid that was going that went up to that store. We had like yeah. two or three local Christian music stores. Yeah. I'd show up and I'd, I'd look at something and, you know, uh, I would see solid state on the mm-hmm. ba- on, on yeah. the back of it. And it didn't matter what it is, whether I'd heard it or not. I yeah. had some solid state releases. And so I knew that I was going to, it was going to be in the same vein, at least uh, of what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I paid the, Oh God, like the 1895 or whatever <laughs> it is, you know, that they charged for yeah. a CD back then. Uh, yeah. And I didn't care. I mean, I remember pulling out a 20 spot, you know, I probably had to mow like four, you know, yards yeah. to get that, but, uh, but it didn't matter because now I've got Zayo's self-titled record, you know, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. 
Yeah. Um, so like, I think that like, if you hadn't done things like that, guys like me would have been like, well, I guess I'm going to have to check out secular music, you know, <laughs> like, like that sort of thing. But like, uh, I think that's cool. I think that's awesome because yeah, the records did sell. And then I bet, mm-hmm. I bet those same people that you snuck it in with would make like an order for like more Zayo stuff. Oh yeah. Because I mean, they, 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 because no they idea. knew that it would, that it would sell. That's all it came down to. I mean, it, it these moral objections that a lot of folks have, uh, profit can profiting can change a lot of perspectives. Um, for yeah. sure. I mean, it's not like, it's not like it, one of the things I liked about solid state the most back in the day was that they weren't really like that. Like you had like most of the records that I loved from solid state weren't even about Christianity, mm. you know, Zayo self-titled, tell me where the Christian message is in that album or, yeah. or, or liberate, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, or, or, or any of those records, you know, um, but then you also had like on the flip side of that with the whole like people that were just doing it for attaboys or or saying it just so that they could get sold in a certain market mm. or stuff that yeah. did such a huge disservice though to bands that were sincere, yeah, like Living Sacrifice or you know like like mm-hmm. like that actually really believed this stuff and were trying to come up with creative ways to uh, yeah. to present it. But at the yeah. same time, like people are like, oh okay. Well, they said they said Jesus on this living sacrifice record, so I guess it's okay, you know. Yeah, it, does, yeah. it would do those bands such a disservice, I think. Yeah, you know, and I used to a lot of those stores would ask for lyrics, you know, and I would have to send them, you know, lyrics. And um, I, I mentioned this, well, this I won't get around the rabbit trail, but um, when I was at Tooth and Nail, one of my first like lessons I learned there was uh, we, I think it was the self title record. We'd already put out Liberate. I think I sold that record in an EMI, but. Uh, I think it was a self-titled record and a Baptist bookstore. I think it was called Lifeway bookstore. They were like a big Southern Baptist chain throughout the country. And, um, Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So they wanted to see the lyrics to, uh, to, to the self-titled record. And so I didn't have them. So I reached out to Jesse, the drummer, and I said, Hey, can you just, you know, cut paste the lyrics and send those over via email? So he sends me these lyrics and, uh, I didn't bother to read the entire email. Like I, I, I was, <laughs> You can probably hear where this is going. So like I, oh, I see yeah. the lyrics and I, you know, I'm like, okay. So then I forward them on to the bookstore, whoever it was. Um, and I, 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 what Jesse had, had put the lyrics in and at the bottom he had said, and if they don't like this, they can suck my dick. That's what he said. <laughs> right. Because, so, because Jesse at that point was already over it. Oh yeah. He yeah. Was yeah. He was, yeah he, he was perfectly fine burning all those bridges, but, sure. uh, but I just remember like, you know, that, <laughs> when that happened, just being like, Hey, first of all, I need to read, <laughs> read these things before I send them out. But then secondly, uh, you know, not only does, you know, they, they, they wanted to return everything, like all their tooth and nail stuff. And so like we talked them down so that they just banned Zayo. Um, but that was a, uh, that was an educational moment. Um, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. <laughs> that's... But you know, the thing was, was, you know, like you were talking about living sacrifice. I mean, it was, you know, very sincere and, and that sincerity, you know, definitely, you know, we ran into obstacles with that. And um, that's one of my regrets from that time period is not fighting a little harder sometimes for some of this, because now a band, you know, like Living Sacrifice, you know, uh, you know, it's especially if they're a newer band getting started, people are a lot more receptive if the music is good. Back then, you know, I, you know, you and I have talked about Nevermore a little bit. I was trying to get Living Sacrifice on a Nevermore tour and you know, had their, we had talking to their management, talking to Century Media, their label. And it would have like, been, it would have been peanut butter and jelly. Oh, it would have been perfect. Yeah. It would have been absolutely perfect. Totally. And, um, but, um, you know, and we, we were going down that road, Living Sacrifice was into it. Uh, but Nevermore was like, we don't know who these, this band is. 
and I, I was telling Steve Joe, who was already in R then, uh, who I think maybe still works at Century Media. I said, um, you know, I guarantee you, in most markets, living sacrifice will outdraw Nevermore. You know, for sure they will do this. And, oh yeah. Uh, but it was, but it was just because you know Nevermore didn't know them, and you know, and they they did have they were an outspoken Christian band, and so. I, you know, and, and back then I just was sort of like, well, yeah, this is a stumbling block we're going to have to deal with and da, 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 da. I wish I had fought a little harder, particularly for that tour, but lots of other things too. There were some bands, you know, like Zayo, just, you know, to kind of go down the Zayo rabbit trail. Um, the web of Zayo members will appreciate it. <laughs> Zayo, you know, they had the ability, you know, the drama that around that time of the band, you know, breaking up all the time and uh, all sorts of crazy stuff, you know, uh, they, it's like success was always just like, please, you know, I mean, I remember tours they were offered, uh, you know, back in the day, I think, you know, this was like Cradle of Filth's like heyday back then. Uh, they got offered a Cradle of Filth tour and they, they turned it down because they were, you know, couldn't keep their shit together. And, right. um, you know, but there was all these like exciting things that some bands, you know, just couldn't seem to, to get together while other bands like Living Sacrifice, for instance, and, and, and others that were really had it all together and, you know, were not on the verge of, of, explosion all the time just couldn't you know didn't get the breaks that, that some of them did and i talked to bruce uh, a couple years ago he was in town and he and i had dinner and um he said you know we broke up right as we were get, you know like we got we're getting offers for like hate breed tours and all these other things and he said and then you know it just that was a time for us to break up and dude it, it's so like hard to know like you know what would have happened what could have happened you know with with some of these bands but um but, you know, you look at Norma Jean, you know, when they were they transitioned from Ludacris. Uh, I remember, you know, there was so much kind of drama around that and changing the name and, you know, their sound. They were you know experimenting with their sound and becoming a little more chaotic and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just for them, it, 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 you know, it was just like from the get go that that record uh, Bless the Martyr. People loved it. It was just, you know, they were one of the, you know. And they were just fun guys. Like they were just awesome guys to, you know, they were great ambassadors for solid state. I mean, whenever they would, they would go out, uh, you know, people love them and not just musically, but just, you know, they would meet them and they were just great guys. It was, um, yeah, it was an exciting time for the label. I was talking to David Lipke who did the, um, you know, living sacrifice documentary. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, we were, we were talking about like living sacrifices appeal, kind of like what you were talking about. If you'd sent them on, sent them on tour with Nevermore, it'd been huge. Yeah, it would have been a great choice. You know what I mean? It would it would have been amazing. It, it's a shame that like hiccups about like, well, we don't know who this band is or, you mm -hmm. know, yada, yada, yada. And like, but I remember like, like from the ground level, from, from the fan level being like, you know, a friend of mine would show me, you know, a band like Soulfly mm -hmm. or like Mudvayne, you know, or something like that. And I'd be like, yeah, this is really cool. Like, I like this stuff. I think it's cool. I don't think it's as good as the hammering process by living sacrifice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was one of those. Yeah. And that wasn't just like, I mean, I think some of it was, but some of it wasn't all me being like just a Christian kid trying to, mm -hmm. you know, try, trying to um, tell everybody like about what I'm getting, you know, like, Oh, these Christian bands are better. I never came mm -hmm. at it from that angle, but I was just like living sacrifice is legitimately good. That record was, was a, <laughs> is a great record. And, and it definitely, you know, people loved that record. Yeah. Um, I remember when it came out, it was such a, we, I think the, the week after it came out, they were playing in Tacoma. I was down there with them and we got the first week numbers and it wasn't, I don't, you know, it wasn't huge, but it was bigger than what, you know, they'd ever experienced before. And, um, but it was just sort of like, man, it's happening. Like stuff is happening here. And, 
Living Sacrifice always struggled with that, you know, the Christian metal thing. But they, you know, the, the thing is, the people that like them, the you know, metal fans. I mean, there are so many promoters and publicists and you know, managers and stuff that you know were Living Sacrifice fans, yeah. writers that were Living Sacrifice fans. But it just never, it never clicked on a much broader level, which was you know unfortunate because the hammering process was, and those guys toured their tail off. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Between them and Living, between them and Zayo, those are. You know, over the years, I've been going to shows since the 80s, but for sure, no doubt, Living Sacrifice and Zay are the, the bands I've seen the most ever. And part of that was just because they just were touring relentlessly during that period. I mean, if they ever came to the Northwest, I saw them or, you know, any other significant events I would go out to and stuff. And um, they just played all the time and they would play, you know, I remember seeing Living Sacrifice with like Ace Troubleshooter, which was like this pop punk band on Tooth and Nail. Yeah. Squad Vio was on that tour, too. You know, it just... It was these crazy bills, but at that time, you know, it worked. It worked, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like, I mean, it worked. It worked for me, especially like, you know, again, a youth group kid that feels validated. Yeah, you know, yeah. or whatever. Like, hey, yeah. you like this Living Sacrifice record? You know, you can go buy it at Best Buy, right? It's called mm-hmm. Conceived in Fire. It's amazing. You know, like that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And you know, like with even with bands like Zayo, I feel like the drama almost like helped. Oh yes, absolutely. A little bit because I remember 100%. being on like being on like forums, hundred percent. You know, yeah, and being like, oh, what's going on with Zayo right now? You know, and like there was that whole like, is Jesse in the band now? Is he not mm-hmm. in the band now? You know, like, yeah. like all that, all that stuff. Like I was always like the equivalent of a kid sitting on AOL Instant Messenger eating popcorn. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like like what 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 is going on with Zayo this week? You know, and yeah. and, and all of that. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's funny that like how those bands broke through. But, you know, you talk about being at solid state between 2000 and 2004, when you're looking for bands on solid state at that time, what are you looking for? Like, as far as like what they, like what band do you think might actually be successful? Well, you know, solid state was, uh, an interesting place to sign a band because, you know, I never once, when I went to go pursue a band, I never asked them about their faith, uh, any of that background, although tooth and nail and solid state, you know, have always, and I, th- I think still to this day, you know, still have a a, th- a thread or a stream of that going through most of their artists. But most of the bands that, that knew about Solid State and knew about Tooth and Nail and were interested in talking about being, having a deal with them, at least came from that background or knew it. Um, the Agony scene, how I, I connected with them, we had a band called Still Breathing uh, that did, I think, just one record on the label. Um they had uh, they were from the same area. They were both from Oklahoma. Yeah. And they said, you should check this band out. And they had given me a demo, which was, it was okay. Uh, you know, I was like, this is, you know, this is fine, whatever. It was, you know, it didn't really strike, strike me that interesting at first. But I had gone down to Oklahoma for a, uh, there was a club down there called The Warehouse that was doing like a battle of bands thing. And they had, um, you know, they were just inviting some people in to, um, uh, judge these bands you know uh, whatever it was me it was mark solomon from staves acre it was uh billy power who, who i worked with at tooth and nail um and some other people you know and most of these bands were you know just not very good there were a couple good ones you know uh, but I, the agony scene guys lived there and so i was like let's just set up a meeting and we went and uh we had lunch and uh you know at that time it was an older singer a different singer than what they ended up you know getting um coming over to solid state yeah but it was just the vibe of them. I was like, you know, I think I think we could do something. You know, it just seemed like it was promising. And so, um, yeah, they had that know, like it, at the gates thing sort of going on. Yeah, yeah, with their sound. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and the thing was, by the time 
between the time we signed the band and the time that they, you know, recorded a record, they had, they had changed so much as far as like their, you know, because their background, their, uh, you know, intentions as far as their music and even the music itself. And dude, when, you know, we got them in the, I think that was the first record we had ever done with Adam D from uh, Killswitch. Um, he was just kind of getting started as a, as a producer. And so I had, I had been in touch with him through something. And, and uh, so I reached out to him and I was like, you know, we have this band, do you mind checking it out? And, and so he agreed to, you know, produce the record. And when we got that record in, we used to, whenever we would get a new record in, uh, like a new master in, we would always gather in Brandon's office, uh, the owner of Tooth and Nail, and listen to it because he had this incredible stereo system. And we would listen to it in there. And dude, nobody knew what the agony scene was, really. They just knew it was a band that I was bringing in. From the moment that record started, I was like, shit, this is <laughs> yeah. good. This is really good. Uh, and it was from start to finish, like everybody, just their jaws were on the floor. Everybody loved that band, uh, loved that record. Um, so with them, it was, you know, no matter what any A&R says, uh, a lot of, I mean, dude, you're dealing with artists, you're dealing with, especially with bands like this, you're dealing with young people, uh, people that think they want to do something, but then realize, you know, they get the girlfriend pregnant somewhere along the way, you know, right, the record right. and don't want to tour anymore. And so there's a lot that can go wrong. Uh, and there's a lot that can go right. And thankfully for them, you know, they they had a lot of problems along the way. I mean, they were another band, too, that, uh, you know, a lot of drama and, you know, getting opportunities. And it just kind of, you know, they had I mean, Danzig was one of their favorite musicians and they got an opportunity to tour with Danzig. And they, they got on that tour and then dropped off, you know, part of the way through it. Because Bummer. They it's just, you know, just stuff like that where you're like, seriously, <laughs> this is yeah. you, know, you're, you're, you spend years playing shitty clubs around the around the country. So you get those opportunities, you know, um, putting in the work to do that. So with the agony scene, and I love those guys. I'm still like Mike, the singer in particular, like he and I talk frequently on Instagram and um, I, you know, they aren't really doing anything anymore, but they were in town a couple of years ago. Well, and they I put out a new record pretty recently. Yeah. yeah a couple of years that ago. That was fire. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And they're, they were great. I mean, they, they played in town with darkest hour and uh, I don't remember who all else was on that tour. I, the band I am from Texas, I think, but yeah, they were great. It was I love those guys. I still like, they, they, they mean a lot to me. Um, and like haste today, I told you, you know, about them. It was honestly, it was more, I was like, I, th- I was, I was signing the band, but I was also, you know, I was like, I want to work with his manager because he's got his shit together. Right. Uh, he's ambitious. Like I think he'll, and then here's the thing, dude, it's like, you can have a good band, like a really great band with a good sound and all that stuff. But if they don't have a good team of people behind them, um, you know, it can, it can go nowhere. I mean, how many records are in your collection and in my collection are just stellar as can be, but sold 3000 copies. I mean, copies. uh, still breathing. Well, yeah, that's, right? a, that's yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, there are t- tons of them. Like, like bands that only put one record out. Yeah. And then yeah. we can't cover them on our podcast 10 years later because <laughs> they didn't put out a full discography, you know? Um, yeah. yeah like there's so many bands like that. And what's interesting too, like, with bands like the agony scene where I was talking about like the drama, you mm-hmm. know, that would sell a band, you know, to a certain degree. I remember yeah. like when the agony scene hit solid state, it was like this, it was like this, this, this like forbidden thing because like you, they put a record out, they don't print all the lyrics in the, in the, in the liner notes, because mm-hmm. if you read those lyrics, you would know that this is not some Christian band. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you, you knew that. And I knew that going in, I wasn't like upset, but like it was so fun reading the outrage, you Dude. know, yeah, the, they at that time, you know, it was strange. They were the nerdiest bunch of guys, young guys. I mean, we're talking 
literally in their teens, you know, young guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for some reason, they had a reputation of being like, you know, troublemakers. And I was like, these are probably the chillest guys on the label. But for some reason, you know, they, they've gotten this uh, reputation. And ultimately, you know, I'm not telling you anything out of school, I guess, but you know, that was part of the reason Brandon wanted to drop them after their first record was he, you know, we were getting, people would call us and be like, oh, the agony scene is doing this and they're smoking weed in the church parking lot or blah, 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 blah. And I was like, Good. okay, did they kill or rape anybody? Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> exactly. hey, you it know, was, <laughs> it was just silly stuff like that. And, but, you know, they went on to Roadrunner, which was, you know, a much better, um, you know, it, it opened them up to a much bigger audience. And that was, that was great and gave them, you know, that record was released worldwide and, and all that stuff. But, so, yeah. So, but yeah, but the agony scene was, that was part of it was, you know, there was, you know, there was drama around them and, you know, they would, they play cornerstone and, and those guys came from, I think, you know, fairly Christian background. But like I said, when, you know, by the time we signed them and put a record out, they had, you know, had done sort of their own personal sort of evolution uh, through some of that. But, you know, at cornerstone, like their, their, their bass player, Matt, uh, well, he wasn't an effeminate guy, but he was, you know, he was very touchy on stage. Like he would, you know, touch the singer or the guitar player. And um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember so, that. But, he's very, yeah, very he, like, like, like that was his love language, you know? Yeah, like just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, they sure. were brothers. They yeah. were brothers. They yeah. were there doing something they cared about. Um, and there, he said, you know, he was at the merch table and some guy came by and called him a faggot and said, you know, start, this was a cornerstone. Of course, know, it, of course it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those guys were just like, you know, we're out of here. We don't want anything to do with this. And so now, and I was fine with that. I was, you know, that's, I, I really, my, my interest at Solid State was never to stock Christian bookstores. It was always to have good bands. And, but anyway, so that was, you know, with, with the agony scene, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I just kind of got to know them and, and, you know, it just looked promising. And so we went that, that route. Um, and then with figure four, you know, I had gotten to know those guys. It was kind of almost like, you know, it, it was like, oh, it was bound to happen. You know, they, we, I had, you know, whenever they would come through town, I would go see them, you know, and they were already doing big tours. Like they were. Yeah. Uh, incredible. They were incredible hardcore band. Yeah. 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 I mean, the last time I saw them before we signed them, and it might've been the day we signed them was they were, you know, opening for hate breed in Seattle and they just had tons and tons of stuff already going on. So in some ways we were just kind of stepping in and saying, Hey, you know, We'll put out your next record. And I mean, I knew it was going to be good. I knew people were going to love it. And uh, and they were they were the kind of band that was going in the direction I hoped we could go. They weren't playing churches or, you know, if they did, it was occasionally here and there. Sure. But they were getting on bigger tours. They were playing with Sick of It All and you know, Mad Ball. And they were they were doing it. You know, they were doing what they had to do. And so, yeah. And then, you know, bands like Stretch Armstrong, I felt like I should talk more about those guys. I mean, they um, they were, you know, inc- another incredible band uh, that. Uh, they were mostly like weekend warriors for a long time. I mean, Chris and uh, one of the other guys, I forget his name, uh, were both school teachers. The other guys had jobs. And so, but th- during the weekend, you know, on a Friday, they get in a van and drive to Missouri or they drive to, to Nashville or, or wherever and play shows. And, you know, that genre of music was starting to get really big. You know, Warp Tour was just kind of coming around. Um, bands like Newfound Glory were getting, you know, huge. And so, oh, yeah. You know, so all those sort of bands like they and, and they got a break to get on a few tours like that. And it was sort of like, you know, we've got to we've got to do this or it's not going to ever happen. You know, this is it or it's just not going to happen. And so, you know, those guys really worked their ass off. I think I'm trying to remember back, you know, because another thing we were trying to do, too, was was, you know, Tooth and Nail did really well in the U.S. And uh, but we were trying to get international partners. And that was how I got to know some of the folks at Century Media was I had a. Um, 
we, you know, I've been talking with them just about, you know, like I said about the Living Sacrifice tour and just other things. And they, they were familiar with some of the bands. And uh, so, and I knew that they were primarily located in Germany. They had our U.S. office, but their main office was in Germany. And um, so I had talked to them about licensing some of the records. So Robert, the owner of the company, came uh, to Seattle one time. They were meeting with Nevermore, actually. Okay. Um, who was on Century Media. It always um, comes back to Nevermore. I love it. Dude, I've got so many Nevermore stories because, okay, I, I could just fall down another rabbit hole about Nevermore. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, so, so you know, we were we got licensing for a lot of the, the solid state titles at Century Media uh, all through Europe. And so I don't know where I was going with this, but yeah, so it's, um, yeah, I mean, all these bands were just trying to, they were just trying to work hard to make it happen, you know, to make a living and, and just go at it. It's interesting too, like thinking about how influential those bands are. It's funny you mentioned like with the Agony Scene record having Adam D. I remember uh, I have a friend of mine named Buddy who him and I kind of like discovered heavy music together. Mm-hmm. And one one of the biggest things was like I remember us buying that Agony Scene CD, loving it, not caring that it didn't say Jesus, <laughs> you know, anywhere mm-hmm. in the album. Like I feel like we were kind of over that at that point, but we were like, oh my god, this band sounds so good. I remember my buddy, he drove this, uh, he drove this car. He drove a Monte Carlo. It was like a 1970s Monte Carlo. And it was like decked out with like the best sound system I think I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Like I've got like a ridiculous, like audiophile sound setup at home now, mm-hmm. but like at the time, <laughs> that's hilarious. He literally just tuned into the broadcast. As soon as I started mentioning his name, his <laughs> ears must've been burning. But anyway, um, he, uh, I remember we would drive around listening to the agony scene. We listened to that, listen to that record. And like, we, we, we had this like youth group that we went to after, after church, uh, called student venture. And mm-hmm. we would, uh, not after church, but after school, sorry. Uh, and we, he would show up and he'd pull into the parking lot and he would turn that agony scene CD up super loud. And like, even at like max volume, it still sounded good. Like it didn't <laughs> clip. It didn't like, it was just, it was the agony scene at like a billion decibels. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. like, and we got, we got so into it. We're like, yeah. And it's funny. Cause like other kids would be like, Oh, what is this? Or we're we like, this song is called lines of suicide. You know, like we were like really, mm-hmm. really blown away by it. And we, and we enjoyed the fact that like, even though we were Christian kids, like we got to be edge Lords, <laughs> you know, listening <laughs> to stuff like, uh, you know, listening to stuff like the agony scene. And, um, but I know I like I thought stuff like that was so cool. And and like that was when things kind of changed, you know, as far as like suddenly all the stuff that I've been telling people about for years, living sacrifice, Zayo, you know, embodiment, stretch Armstrong, figure four, mm-hmm. like these bands that I thought were incredible. And it wasn't just because of my faith. Like, I'd like to say that it was, but it wasn't. It was because the bands were legitimately good. They were good. Yeah. You know, um, you know, all, all of a sudden I had this validation where I was like, yeah, if you like this record, go to Best Buy and buy it. Mm-hmm. You can get it for like 11 bucks. You don't have to go up to like, you know, you don't have to go up to like Lifeway books, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or, or whatever and buy it. Yeah. Um, and like with Norma Jean, how big they got. Yeah. yeah. And Under Oath, you know, like, like all of that stuff. It was so amazing. And it was such like my introduction to like really, really heavy Christian music. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't very long after that, like I started listening to like all the other stuff, like all the, all the bands that maybe the Christian band sounded like, mm, or, yeah. you know, um, I remember hearing, uh, it's so funny. I remember the first time I heard Metallica, believe it or not, I was like, Oh, this sounds like deliverance. 
<laughs> which is like the most backwards, like most ass backwards way of, yeah. of talking about something like that. Or, you know, um, hearing bands like uh, hearing bands like Soulfly and being like, oh, this sounds like living sacrifice mm-hmm. or, you know, and stuff like that. Um, and so it's interesting, you know, kind of what. So you were with you were with uh, Tooth and Nail Solid State for four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was like probably the most influential four years of my life as far oh, as cool. like bands that I that we love. I mean, the same guy, Buddy, you know, when that Haste the Day CD came out, we, you know, we popped in the Monte Carlo and we listened to it at full volume and we mm-hmm. loved it. And um, but I think it's super, super cool to like the transition into Century Media, which was a label that I had started kind of becoming somewhat familiar with where it was like, oh, wow listen to all these bands, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they're super cool. So like, you know, in talking about like the music industry side of it, you know, you go from a, you go from a label like solid state, which I think in a certain way might've been a little restrictive for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that I feel like, and, and maybe, maybe I'm totally off base here, but like, did you ever feel like there was t- like certain bands that you like couldn't pitch to tooth and nail? Yeah. I mean, you know, again, it, there was a band called Iron Dissonance from Canada that was kind of like this techie. Oh my god, band. so good! Yeah, yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, um, but they had, you know, they were on Willowtip, this uh, Pennsylvania-based uh, extreme metal label st- who's still around. Uh, they put a record out on Willowtip, and I loved that record. And um, I knew it wasn't. I knew there was no way this it would fly on Solid State as far as the way it was then. I think probably things are a little different there now. But sure. Um, but I re- remember I was talking to them. I was like, dude, I love this record. I would love to work with you guys. Uh, you know, would it be of interest? And they were like, are you sure that solid state would want a band like us? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was like, you're, you're probably right. You know? And, um, but yeah, there, there, there was, I, yeah. I mean, there was the pool of artists that would fit on solid state and tooth and nail was much smaller uh, than going to century media. When I went to century media in 2004, um, I had, uh, was coming in, it was one of those things of, uh, I, like I said, I had met Robert, Robert before and the owner of the company, uh, one of the owners. And, um, you know, he had offered me a job. And so I, I was doing sort of A&R and I was also doing, you know, marketing and, and sales. Um, but they were also developing a label called Abacus uh, that was more of a metalcore, hardcore label. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the first band, though, that I signed at, uh, at Century Media was a band called Despised Icon. Um, this... Uh, uh, Canadian, you know, kind of really one of the first deathcore, you know, de- quote unquote deathcore bands. Just some band called Despised Icon. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Well, I mean, they they were those guys were they're again another band, and I'm fortunate I get to work with we. They came over to Nuclear Blast so on our last couple of records, and I I love working with those guys. They're really sweet, sweet people. So um, good too. So good. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're just amazing. Um, and those yeah, so you know, getting and getting to work with those. I mean, those guys are another band that you know put in the work, man. I saw them playing, you know, so many times in, in LA, you know, when, when we first got them started, they were doing tours with everybody opening for, you know, suffocation for deicide for uh morbid angel for, I mean, they were just playing with everybody. And, but at that time, the scene was just not that open to it. I mean, people, people would give them shit because they weren't just like a straight up death metal band. Um, but they they took it. They 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 were just like they just ate it, and they just they knew it was going to work, and it did work for them. You know, by the second record, dude, death metal was so stale by that point, though. Like, yeah, that's the thing. Like, is, I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, and I love death. I mean, death and thrash were the two genres really that I kind of you know gravitated towards as a, a you know a, a metal new linear, if you will. 
Um, but I loved, you know, those those genres. But at that time, you know, Deicide was not putting out their best music, you know, in the early 2000s. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. Definitely not. So, I mean, to, to have like a fresh voice and a fresh band like Despised Icon on there, you know, and, and, and granted, Deicide, I think I'm fairly certain they did several tours of Deicide and, and Glenn was always, he treated them really well. And, um, you know, they, I think they always got along really well. There were other bands that didn't treat them so well, um, but um, but they did it. They, 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 they fought through it and they succeeded, you know, and yeah. they're known all over the world now. Um, so, so yeah, so despise, despise icon was the first band that I brought in. Um, and then I actually brought a few, you know, tooth and nail bands in at that time, you know, uh, the agony scene was one of them. We, uh, did that record get damned, which I, I love that album. Uh, the Juliana theory we brought over to Abacus. Um, we, uh, that record, um, deadbeat sweetheart beat, I think. Uh, which was a great, you know, another great record from them. They had just come off of uh, Epic at that point. Yeah. Um, they had done one record with Epic, and uh, so they were done there. So we brought them over. And then we brought Stavesacre over uh, for Abacus. And the record that they did, um, How to Live with a Curse, and I liked, I liked Stavesacre prior to that. I mean, uh, that, you know, the record Absolutes, um, that Speakeasy, you know, those were all classic records. Speakeasy is, now. yeah, easily in my top 10. Yeah. Yeah, so those were classic records, and uh, How to Live with the Curse. I don't know if if people are Stavesacre fans and you've not dug into that record. I would really encourage you to do it because I don't think there's a bad song on it. And not only is there not a bad song on it, I think it's some of Mark's best lyric writing. Oh yeah, um, it, it's it's just incredible. And, and they've reissued it at least on vinyl now, if not on CD. It's definitely up on all the streaming platforms. But um, I helped them get their rights back to that. It, you know, it kind of. Over the years, Century Media had been sold to, to uh, Sony and, uh, you know, all that old catalog. Nobody was going to really do anything with it. And they so anyway, so we were able to get their, our, their rights back for them for that record. And I'm glad to see that people are getting to experience that again. But otherwise, you know, at, at, at the Abacus Nuclear Blast stuff, you know, I, I was just, or excuse me, Century Media stuff. Um, I was doing just a little bit of everything. We were just, it was the same thing I was kind of doing it to the nail and solid state of just trying to make people aware of these bands, you know? I mean, we had some huge, huge bands on century media, you know, at that time, Ozfest was really getting started. Uh, you know, well, it had already been started, but it was huge. And, uh, you know, bands like shadows fall, um, uh, who were some of the other bands from that time? Um, God forbid. Oh um, God, God forbid. One of my favorites and a band that did not last long enough. Dude, you know, they they have so again, they were another one of those bands that just so many great records. Uh and I mean incredible live band too. Like I've seen them multiple times. Uh, and they were just incredible live, but it just never it never connected, you know. Um at least yeah, so, uh, I mean, links to Doc's getting his own doing his podcast and stuff. That's been yeah, yeah. pretty successful. He's, yeah, he's here in LA. I see I well, I haven't seen anybody in a while because no, you know, there's just shows are just starting to happen. Right. Um, but but yeah, he's, he seems to be, you know, doing well. And I think they're possibly doing another record. I know that I've seen some activity on their socials. I don't know if they're still doing anything, but I need to, I need to reach out to doc and get him to do this. Yeah. Cause I think that, yeah, we could get some answers on that. Cause, cause, cause isn't he, is he the one who's also in uh that band bad wolves? Yeah. Well? Yeah. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah. And I get it. I mean, bad wolves pays the bills, right? Like, I mean, yeah. it makes sense. Uh, yeah. the podcast pays the bills. I, I love doc. I love, he's a way mm-hmm. better interviewer than I am, but like, it's one of those, like, um, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to talk to him about some God's God forbid yeah. stuff at some point. Yeah. But th- they were, they were a great band too. And, and at that time, this is how I got to know some of the folks from nuclear blast because nuclear blast was in the same office 
as uh, Century Media. So Century Media was handling, at that time, uh, nuclear, there, there was a, a point that Relapse uh, Records, a label on the East Coast, uh, did distribution for, for nuclear blasts. Like if you look on the back of the old, old nuclear blast records, you'll find a Pennsylvania address and it's, it's Relapse's yep. address. Yep. So, yeah, so, so at that time, when I, when I, 2004, when I went to Century Media, Nuclear Blast was uh, one of the labels that they distributed and they were also in-house, very small staff. But they had huge bands like In Flames. That was like, you know, those first In Flames records, oh, first man. soil work records, like all that melodic death metal was really just starting to hit here in the U.S. Oh, yeah. uh, so those bands started, you know, doing really well. So I got to know all those guys, you know, through that and just, uh, yeah, so I did that for a little while. I In 2006, I had decided I was just done with Los Angeles. I was like, I don't want to live here anymore. Um and I and I had a huge, a fairly huge social network in Seattle. You know, I cultivated over those four years there. And so I was like, I'm out, you know, I'm going to move to Seattle. And I thought that would be the end of my time there. And my manager was like, you know, you can, you can just keep working from Seattle doing what you're doing. And so, which I was really grateful. So about a year and a half, I, I did that. And then uh, the abacus portion of the label shut down. Uh, there just wasn't funding anymore for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, they told me, they were like, you can come back to Los Angeles and work. You know, this was 2000. Seven, you know, so the working remote thing was still a, you know, some people were doing it, but it wasn't that that well known. People didn't have fast enough internet to work remote. Oh, that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. We could be on our phones twenty four seven, etc. Um, so they were like, you know, you come back to LA and 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 keep doing this. And I was like, no, I'm not coming back to Los Angeles. So, um, so I decided at that point I was like, I might be done with music. This might be the end of it. And so, oh no. Uh, yeah, so that was you know 2007, and I ended up you know doing a couple different jobs, but I, I still just loved music. Like I, I was working at an insurance company for a little while, um, and I, I there was a, a local promoter in town called Infinite Productions. They were I think probably well they don't do shows anymore, but they were at the time they were the only independent uh, promoter at the time. Uh, they're in Seattle. I mean there was you know at that time uh, you know these big promotion companies uh, were starting to take over you know, booking shows all over the country, um, you know, and so, you know, the, so when they would book a band in Seattle, they were like, oh, we're also booking all these other cities. But so right. Lori, who, who ran that, uh, I got to know her through an actually a mutual friend that worked at Tooth and Nail for a while and Chris Esty, who's one of the best people in the world. He's a great writer. He's a he's a, a PR person now uh, for a lot of different artists, but Wonderful guy. So he got me connected with Lori and I'd met her a few, over the years, a few times, just at shows. And she used to book a lot of the tooth and nail bands uh, that would come through. And so I began working with her as kind of a publicist. So like whenever she would have bands in town, I would, you know, be reaching out to the local weeklies and, and that sort of stuff. And for me, it was just fun. Like it, it was like, this is a way I can keep working with music I care about. Cause her, her forte was primarily punk metal. Uh, you know, she, whenever Nick Cave came through town, she would do a Nick Cave show and, you know, all this other stuff. So, so it was fun. It was just a, a fun way to do that. And so, uh, and then I worked at Amazon for a little while, uh, which was not very fun. Um, hell on earth. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was terrible. I hated that. I, yeah. I mean, I, and I worked remotely actually for them for like a, a year and a half, two years and was developing quite a drinking problem and, and other things just from just trying to cope living anything to make the pain of your own life go away. Yeah, sure. It was, it was terrible. I've been there. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, I've got to get the hell out of here. I've got to, you know, I've got to get get out of this job. And this was at a time, you know, 2000, I sound like an old man, but back in the day, um, but you know, 10 years ago, the economy was still kind of shitty. You know, it was hard. There weren't as many jobs around. Yeah. I mean like Uh, 2008 was like the big market crash. 
Yeah. And yeah. it took a couple of years to recover. I was in banking during the market crash. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I wasn't in banking much longer than that, but yeah. 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 So I, you know, I had, uh, I had just, you know, decided I wanted to do something, but the head of, uh, I, I knew a lot, still kept in touch, you know, with social media and kept in touch with a lot of the people at Century Media and then Nuclear Blast and the head of sales at Nuclear Blast, she had reached out to me, Jessica, Jessica Tolliver. She reached out to me and said, uh, hey, I'm going to be leaving. I'm moving back to Texas, uh, where she was originally from. Yeah. She was like, you, you might want to consider talking to uh, Gerardo, who was the, uh, the guy who kind of ran the U.S. office. And so I got in touch with him. And, you know, basically, we just talked on the phone once. And, you know, he and I'd known Gerardo. We had been friends. But, like, I flew down. I met the guy. I met everybody. And, um yeah, it just kind of went from there. I just decided I was like, I thought I would, I, I swore I would never come back to Southern California. I never wanted to come back here. Like people would talk about like, oh, I'm moving to North Hollywood or I'm doing this. And I'm like, that place can fucking fall in the ocean. I did not <laughs> care at all yeah. for it. Um, but I was like, you know, this is something I think I would like again. Um, it's something that I can be passionate about. It's something I care about and probably not, you know, go pass out going to sleep every night you know that sort of thing and so um so right i, I don't to, have to numb the pain of my own existence yeah 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 that whole you know that sort of nonsense and so uh yeah in december 2012 uh i, I you know drove down here and, and moved down and uh started you know working here and i've just I, i've been the head of sales uh, for north america for them for right at nine years it'll be nine years in, in december and uh, you know, and just like with any small label or small company, you know, I've picked up a lot of other things, you know, from, uh, you know, production to product management to all sorts of things, you know, but, but I love like, honestly, like I don't miss doing A&R work at all. Uh, there's been a few bands I've brought to, to Nuclear Blast. None of them have been signed, but, you know, it's bands, you know, that I, that I still have that sort of ambition, but honestly, I don't, I don't miss having to deal with the drama of working with bands and stuff like that. I, I really yeah. love what, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a different thing. It takes a different personality. And I, I'm i not a an outgoing, like, you know, let's get together and party and do this. I'm more of a, I'm going to bed at eight o'clock. Right. <laughs> and that's, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I work with, a, you know, all the, the, the retails, retail stores around the country and some in Canada. Canada is kind of a hard market these days. But, um, but I love like the community I've kind of created within that of, you know, just there's so many great stores. Um, you know, like Bull Moose Records in, in the Northeast and um, uh, Newberry Comics up there, Zia down here. And actually in the town where you're at, there's a, a store called Music Record Shop. Um, the guy there, he, we, he does a charity thing where he uh, they sell autographed vinyl and they, they donate the profit or proceeds from that to a, a local cancer charity there. I love working with him. He's a, he's a great guy. Um, I have to check that out. Yeah. I, I yeah, it's, yeah. It's a smaller store. I mean, but, so it's not like a, you know, it's not like an Amoeba or something like that, like we have here in Hollywood, but it's, yeah, you know, uh, you'll have to, you'll have to let me know after we're done with this, like where that's located. I'll, I, I yeah. definitely would, would make the drive for sure. Yeah. He's, he's a good guy. Uh, but yeah, but there's so many great, uh, great people that work in this industry uh, on the business and particularly the, you know, on the, on the, the shop side of it. And, I've just developed over the years, you know, some of these people have become, you know, good friends and, you know, we stay in touch with each other and um, yeah, it's a different sort of thing, but it's something, you know, for me, it's a community that I care about um, a lot. And so, yeah, it's good. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny, like it, it's, it's, such a, it's such a big deal for me just thinking about like, just that like somebody working for nuclear blast, because I like my history with, with that label comes all the way back from like, 
buying my first few Mortification albums. Mm, you yeah. know, like when they were signed to Nuclear Blast, which I know was like a long time ago. It was like before you were even there. I thought it was so funny too because I have a I have a cassette tape of Mortification's um, uh, post momentary affliction album, and on the back of it, it just it's it's the American branch of Nuclear Blast. And I remember my dad like taking huge issues. He's like, why is on the back of it? Why does this say nuclear blast America? You know? And like, yeah. I was like, dad, I don't, I don't think there's anything to that. You need to like, let it go. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's funny. Um, no, it's, it's, it's definitely one of like to, to back up a little bit, like one of my, one of my favorite labels, as far as like keeping kind of the whole metal thing kind of going, you know, especially yeah. like, with the podcast that I do, you know, without labels like like Nuclear Blast or Century Media or, you know, even 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 Solid State, you know, we wouldn't have the 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 following that we have, mm-hmm. you know, all, all because of kind of the strength of, of of what those labels were able to provide. Yeah. And um, a, a funny story. And I, I was going to I was going to phrase this differently. I was going to open the interview with uh, I was going to open up the interview with, uh, hey, you owe me 43 cents. Uh, and the reason I was going to say that is because so. I was on a podcast uh, last year called Brutally Speaking, and mm-hmm. we did uh, we did kind of more of the, like the mainstream interviews. Like I did an mm-hmm. interview with John Cooper from Skillet, uh, which was an interview that was thrust on me because I was quote unquote the Christian rock guy. Mm-hmm. And um, but I did, ended up doing an interview. They made up for it by letting me do an interview with Chuck Billy from Testament, and uh, we talked. It was like right after he had just gotten over, you know, uh, had just recovered from COVID. And, um, well, I, so I did that interview or whatever and nuclear blast was kind enough to be like, Hey, we really liked your interview. We're going to send you a CD of the new oh, cool. Testament album. And it was cool. They, they sent me the, like the whole, like they sent me what I call like the Holy shit edition, which had, mm-hmm. um, which had, you know, was like a digi pack and, you know, had mm-hmm. all the stuff or whatever. And, yeah. uh, and I thought that was super cool, but it's so funny. Cause I remember, I remember the publicist reaching out to me and being like, Hey, what's your address? And so I sent my address and um, I was like waiting for like a little bit. I was like, I don't know what they're going to send me. If they're going to send me a vinyl or a CD, like I don't care, like like a record, mm-hmm. a, a record's a record. Right. Um, yeah. And so I was like super excited about it. And then like I got a note from my post office carrier that said, um, uh, hey, we have a package for you, but nuclear blast didn't pay <laughs> all of the uh, shipping on it. <laughs> so you're going to have to come down here and pick it up yourself. Oh, no. And so I drove, I drove to the post office. Uh, that was like a couple of miles away. And, uh, mm-hmm. I was like, Hey, uh, I think you have a package. And they're like, yeah, you're gonna have to pay us 43 cents. And I was like, Sorry about that. I was like, man, you know, and that was the day that I decided that Roy Culver is responsible 100% uh, for yeah, that, yeah. for that happening. So, you know, where's my 43 <laughs> cents? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it, it's fun though. Like I, I've enjoyed so many bands from the roster, and like mm-hmm. it's it's really inspirational to seeing just like you know if this could be phrased in the most basic way possible, uh, you know how does a guy kind? Of, you've answered this already, but like how does a guy come from working in the Christian metal market to working for one of the biggest labels, you know, in in metal at least, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in in the world. And uh, I think that that's super cool that you that you kind of got to like have that childhood fantasy of like, oh, I like all these heavy bands, I like all these metal bands or whatever, and now I'm working, um, uh, like now now I'm working with some of the, some of the best bands yeah. that are representing that style now. Like, is there there's there a certain sense of accomplishment or whatever? And keep in mind, your bosses are probably watching. So, <laughs> um. Is there a certain level of accomplishment? Um, Weird question. I'm sorry. 
Oh no, no, no! It's not a weird question. I, I'm just. I want to be. I want to. I want to answer it honestly. You know, I. I was visiting some friends in in Kentucky uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and, and they're you know they, they were kids that I grew up with that that listen. You know, we were trading tapes with each other. You know, uh, whenever we whenever we were into stuff, we you know, copying it and passing it along and stuff. And you know, I don't really talk about most most of my friendships that I have like that I see in the real world. Most of them don't know you know what this is. They know I work with do something with music, but they don't necessarily know everything. Sure. Or understand it. Um, but I was talking to them. I was like, you know. And this is really the, the biggest thing for me was like when we finally signed Slayer, Slayer was like a, you know, for me, uh, untouchable. You know, they were absolutely untouchable. Uh, and, you know, they, they had a few years that were not thrilling, but they've also put out, you know, even later in their career, they put out some great records like. Yeah, they survived. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God Hates Us All from 2001. That's to me, I think, a great Slayer record. Um, you know, we, we did Repentless back 2015, 16, I don't remember exactly which year. And that's a great record too. But World Painted Blood. Saying, yeah. 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 World Painted Blood. I think that was 2009 or 10. But I was at the office one day and, uh, you know, just at my desk, at my computer answering email like I would always do. Um, and, you know, I just felt somebody tap me on the shoulder and I turn around and Tom Array is standing by, you know, the vocalist of, of Slayer. And, <laughs> you know, Kerry King would come by the office from time to time. I mean, he, he was, he's, I think he's based in Las Vegas. So, and Tom lives in in Texas, but you know, and it was just after, after a while, these people kind of become clients and, you know, and it's always tough to meet your idols. You know, there's, uh, you know, it's, especially when you have to work with people and and deal with personalities and stuff, it can be challenging, Um, Sure, but it is, you know, it's pretty remarkable to be able to work with bands I care about, you know, especially when they turn out to be good guys. You know, we were talking about Testament before, you know, before this and Chuck and, and all those guys are just super sweet guys. And, um, you know, getting to work, you know, and again, some people that I've known worked with over years, you know, come back kid. Now they've, they're about to put out their second record on, on, uh, it's getting announced tomorrow, by the way, uh, their, their second record's coming out, you know, soon and on nuclear blast. And yeah. Um, you know, and, and getting to talk with these bands, you know, sitting in meetings with, you know, some fairly large bands and, and, you know, when I, when I first left tooth and nail and solid state back in 2004, I, it was kind of like a divorce in some ways. Like I didn't want to follow the label, didn't care what they were doing. Uh, you know, didn't really keep up with what was going on. You'd move and on was, to the next chapter of your life. I get that. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I, there was still a, a stigma. There was still a stigma around the, you know, tooth and nail at that point with, especially in the metal community. Um, so I didn't really talk about, you know, working at tooth and nail and solid state too much. I, and I kind of kept it quiet. And then as I've, you know, as my, as I've left also Christianity and, and kind of put that behind me. Um, that's another thing. Like I, I just didn't want that to become a talking point really with, although I'm here, I am on a podcast talking about it. Um, <laughs> it's years later. Really it's to, fine. Yeah. Well, but you know, the thing is, is like, I, I began to notice when I was at, at nuclear blast, you know, sitting with bands and, you know, we would just be talking about, you know, you used to work at Tooth and Nail, you know? And so then I'd be, you know, I would talk to these bands that were, were kids right who went to Cornerstone. Who are now signed to Nuclear Blast, you know, doing playing metal and doing whatever. And I began to realize I'm like, I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't, I didn't realize it, but I was like, man, we were part of a movement that was really happening that was, you know, people were connecting with. And when you're in the middle of it, you don't see it. You just see all the hard work and you see all the the stuff going on. And 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 just like, you know, going back to Slayer, if I can go back to that, I'm sorry, I'm bouncing all over the place, but um when we put out Repentless, there was so much, I mean, years went into getting that record ready. Uh, sure. To get it yeah. Ready to come out. 
And I was, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm the head of sales at Nuclear Blast. So I was doing everything I could to like make sure this record was set up correctly. It was, we were busting our ass to get this thing done. And um, I remember the night before that record came out, I was in my apartment um, and I was just sitting on the couch watching TV. And it occurred to me, I was like, we're putting out a fucking Slayer record. It was like all this work had gone into this. And I didn't, hadn't at that point really like, it hadn't sunk in that we were put, I was part of putting out a Slayer record. And I texted my boss and I was like, dude, we're putting out a Slayer record. And he was like, yeah, we are. But for me, it was like, it was all this work building up to it. It was just exciting. It was exciting as a fan, but also like, you know, that was my first record I've ever worked that, you know, I, I think we got in the, in the top 10, Billboard top 10. Uh, I mean, most of the bands on Nuclear Blast, you know, are just not, they're not going to sell that sort of level. Um, but I remember how exciting that was, you know, to have something, you know, chart that high. I mean, we, we, we put out a Rob Zombie record earlier this year that did really well too. And was well, cool. Yeah. Not, yeah. But the, I remember being like, it just wasn't quite as exciting as a Slayer record. <laughs> you know, part of it is because we'd already done it. You know, we'd already gotten a record that large, but also I didn't have the connection to zombie. I like, you know, I like some of the white zombie st- stuff. There's, they've got some cool records, but Slayer was like, you know, they were idols. You know, I got to, you know, when they did their final shows here in LA at the, at the forum, you know, getting to see them. It was, it was, it was great to be there and just to experience that. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting and, and exciting to see how Tooth and Nail and Solid State uh, bled over into so much, you know, friends at Relapse that, that grew up listening to some of the music, friends at, you know, Century Media that knew these bands and, you know, some of the artists we work with that grew up listening to it. And um, yeah, it's, it's exciting to, when people, say stuff like, Oh, I love this record, you know, that I helped kind of bring into the world and stuff. It's always, it's fun, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it, not to be cheesy, but like, I mean, I think you have a lot to be proud of. Well, thank you. You know, you do like, it's one of those things where like me as a fan, like even, even I was nervous whenever I sent that original message to you, I was like, Hey, let's do that. Let's do a podcast or whatever. But like, I, I'm sitting on like all these records that like you were involved in, mm-hmm. you know, in some way, shape or form. So it's, it's one of those like, you know, um, it's not necessarily like a tastemaker thing, but it is like one of those things where like there are great things that exist in the world that mm-hmm. you had a part of. And there's not a lot of people out there that can say that, you know, yeah. they, 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 can, they can make that same claim of like, hey, I, 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 I helped in the creation of something that that people got something out of, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's yeah. important because of like, like in, in all of the noise that exists in, in the world today about like, you know, every, everybody's got an opinion on something. Everybody's got a podcast. You know, everybody's got something that, that, that they have that they think, like, makes them unique or whatever. But they don't create anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, they don't add anything to the narrative. Whereas, like, you, even if even if most of your work was behind the scenes, you still helped kind of garner in, like, like I wouldn't look at music the same way as I look at it now if you hadn't signed the Agony scene. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it'd be one of those things where, or, or like, haste the day and stuff. Hey, today was the first band where I was like, Hey dude, it's okay for there to be some like singing vocals on an album. <laughs> yeah. You know, because you yeah. know, back in the day, you know, you hear embodiments of brace the eternal and you're like, yeah, you know, fuck it. I had no clean vocals ever, you know, like, yeah, let's, yeah. Just, let's just go, let's just go for the throat, you know? Uh, yeah. And then they, they proceeded to release like five albums that had only clean vocals on it. But anyway, yeah. like, <laughs> but it, you know, this is not a bash embodiment. I, I love him. No. I even, I even like the cheesy embodiment albums. I, I love them. But like I, it is, it is really cool to get to talk to somebody that like actually you know helped kind of develop you know my taste in music, 
and that it that it extended both ways, you know, because like much mm-hmm. the same way that you kind of left the Christian market, like I, you know, I did too, you know. Eventually, like I'm out on my own. It, I don't have like a parent sitting over me being like, "Hey, you know, uh, let me read the lyrics to this album before you yeah. <laughs> before I, you listen to it or or whatever." And you know, um, it, it's 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 really cool, and it's cool to see that like that there that to be able to bridge the gap from like, Hey, I was overdoing this like certain thing that was only uh, viable in a certain market to being able to be part of records that were like records from some of the biggest bands of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that, is, I, I think that that's super admirable. And I think that you've been almost too humble about it, you know, <laughs> like, like, like to the point where like, you know, I think that, you know, if you're, if you're ever feeling down or you're ever feeling like, you know, Oh, what have I done with things or whatever? Like, like that you, you have these kind of accomplishments to kind of look back on. Um, and I think that that's really cool. I wish I had a, like a better way to articulate it, but like, or, you know, but no, like but, you've got that. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. And that's very kind of you. And I, I, you know, I, what I think about this, you know, I feel like I'm an evangelist for art. I mean, that's really what I feel like I am. And I, and I love that. I love even if I'm not working for the band or with the band, I, when I find a good record, I want to tell people about it and, um, or a good movie or any, you know, any piece of creation that I find that I, you know, I want to talk about it. Um, and that excites me. Like I, I, one of the things I, you know, in some ways, like, you know, a band like Slayer and, and, and Rob Zombie, I feel less of, although Slayer, you know, was kind of a special thing because of where I came from, but I feel less of an accomplishment with them than I do. Like when I, when I'm working with a baby band, and watching them develop and grow over two or three records to me, that's really fucking exciting. Oh yeah. Uh, I got to see that at solid state, you know, I got to see it with despised icon, um, you know, at, at, at nuclear blast, you know, I've got to work with bands like, you know, thy art is murder and, and um, uh, Sabaton and others that, you know, when I first started were, were not really anything here in the U S and, and I'm not saying that I was what caused these bands to take off, but I'm just part of a team that, that cared about this stuff. You know, we wanted to see these bands do well and they were bands that were, were working hard and wanted to work hard. And man, I, it really means a lot to hear that. I appreciate that. I mean, I, for a long time, especially about the tooth and nail solid state stuff, I, I really struggled with that period because I, I, it was, it was a time in my life where I was, you know, dealing with the the Christian stuff and was in the thick of all this stuff with, because, you know, when I was at tooth and nail and solid state, we, and I, I know we've gone on for like an hour and a half and I can keep talking, but if you need to shut, shut me up, that's <laughs> really fine. Um, you know, just the nature of what we did, we had to work with some organizations that I did not feel comfortable with, like focus on the family and these very conservative fundamentalist cults. I would call them people you know, that now. people, if they knew more about you would not have anything to do with you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's hard. That's that's outrageously hard. Yeah. Yeah, and so it was always like you know I I love these guys because to me you know again being there it was all these relationships I was developing and these people were becoming friends. I mean you were we were, you know it was business but it was also we hang out you know we we would do things together and so it was um it was it was not always easy and and I I when I left there it was it was complicated like as far as my feelings about it but. Um, you know, in retrospect, I really, I learned, you know, so, so, so much there. And I'm so grateful for, you know, Brandon giving me the opportunity because really he just knew me, you know, I was just this metalhead kid in in Nashville who, you know, uh, he came in and would look through my CD collection just to see what I was listening to and stuff, you know, at the time. Right. Yeah. Makes sense though. You were the guy, you know what I mean? Like, like him, you know, I mean, I don't know what Brandon listens to, but, uh, 
it is one of those things where like you're the guy you're you're the guy that's going to be able to say like hey metalheads would be into this yeah yeah you know yeah so yeah so i mean it's it's a it means a lot to hear that and especially in retrospect you know looking back and uh i can look at myself and look at that experience far more kindly in a kinder way now than i did you know um even 10 years ago you know it's uh but but yeah so it's i'm grateful for it and, and i you know i've could, you know i'm just yeah, I had no idea where I was going to go 25 years ago. And, uh, you know, if you told me, you know, again, you know, growing up in the South, you know, in rural Kentucky, telling me even I was going to live in Nashville at 18, I would have thought that it sounded as reasonable as saying I was going to live on Mars, let alone saying that I was going to be working with some bands that I really sure. at that time yeah. cared about. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for it and um, thankful. And, you know, there's so many good people like yourself and other people I've met along the way that, uh, care about this music too and are just good people and um yeah i'm grateful it's, i could be working with a lot of shitheads <laughs> I'm totally glad that I, there is that aspect of the industry yeah it sounds like you dodged yeah, a lot is. of bullets <laughs> you know yeah. uh going through that dealing with good people and you yeah. know it, it's not for nothing like i mean go, go back and tell 15 year old me that like in a few years i'm going to be talking to roy culver and about like about metal bands and about like, mm-hmm. you know, releases and, 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 and the nuclear blast is going to be part of the conversation. And it's going to be like this, this thing. And like, I mean, 15 year old me would, would have screamed until I dry heaved. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it being yeah. one of those like really, really cool things. And I think that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going over all, you know, I'm just going on and on and on about the same thing, but like, but like, it's super cool. I can't, I can't get over that. Like, you know, uh, something that I think that you probably relate to that I have started to kind of like, you just look at your phone nowadays. Like you look at your contact list <laughs> and you're just like, how did these people end up on my contact list? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, you're, you're thinking back to those days where you heard a re- you know, you heard a seven inch mm-hmm. that was great. Or, yeah. or you heard a tape that was great. Or you heard a, a record that was great. And then, you know, in your professional career later on, you're like working with these people and they, they might even annoy you. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. or, 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 or something along those lines, you know, yeah. but it's just the idea of like, you get to kind of sleep at night knowing that like, Hey, you know, I, I played an important role in this. And, um, that's the kind of stuff that I think is, is, is really valuable and something that yeah. I think everybody needs to keep in mind that like, when you hear a record that you, when you hear a record that, that you love there, there was a whole team behind that. There, there, there Absolutely. were people that, that, that cared about it enough mm-hmm. to, to get it to the point where you're hearing it. Yeah. And um, it's it one awesome. thing to deliver a good record and it's another thing to actually get it in people's hands, you know, yep. get it in people's ears. And it's, yeah, there's so many, like, you know, I've talked about maybe before in, in the time we've been on this, you know, just great records we have that just never, you know, never got farther than the 300 people or 500 people or 5,000 people that heard it. You know, um, that's just the way it goes. I mean, it's the, the, the huge bands, you know, that we know are the exception to the rule. I mean, there's so many other bands that, are you know busting their ass and just you know don't get that sort of recognition but yeah. well and to to kind of cap off um you know what do you as far as as far as music goes you know we haven't talked about you know like current music as much but you know what are you what are you the most stoked about now it doesn't even have to be like a nuclear blast thing it could be like, you mm-hmm. know any anything that you're stoked on now that you think that people yeah. would would really 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 love really enjoy your opinion's going to carry more weight than that than mine would you know well Maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate at Nuclear Blast that I do work with a lot of bands I really love. And Nuclear Blast, you know, is very much, although they have a U.S. office, they're still very much a, a European label. And that's reflected in a lot of the music 
I've, I used to hate power metal. Like I, you know, growing up, you know, hearing, I, you know, like Judas Priest, you know, they were quite power metal, but, you know, they were kind of that new wave of British heavy metal that started getting kind of popular here. You know, Painkiller was, you know, that, especially that song. That yeah, Painkiller was, was so heavy in comparison yeah. to, yeah, everything. Yeah. Yeah. But the vocals, I always like Iron Maiden was another. Then they had like, you know, a couple records, Seven Son of a Seven Son. I, lo- I liked that record. Um, but the vocals and stuff, the high vocals, I just could not get into it. And now I love that stuff. I love like Primal Fear. And um, we have a band on our label called Battle Beasts that I am the eternal evangelist for. Um, there is this Finnish, uh, they call themselves Power Metal or Party Metal, but they're not really that. They've gotten much no, more. No, they're theater. so good. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you know them. They're, yeah, they're yeah. turned to the U.S. Uh, next year with uh, Dragon Force. If they come to your area, let me know and I'll get you on the guest list. But they definitely they're so good. Um, we have another band called Beast in Black that I love. Uh, and then, you know, we have these other kind of crazy bands like Aronzi Pazuzu. That's uh, kind of a, a great band, too, but just kind of experimental uh, black metal band. Um, but then but like a lot of the stuff that I listen to, you know, on the side, um, you know, a lot of it's kind of more electronic stuff. Like there's a band called Boy Harsher that I really like a lot. Um, there's a band called uh, Choir Boy that I like a lot. Um, there's a label. I really fo- I still follow labels a lot. I really love like seeing what, a, especially when a label has like a thing they're doing. Same. Um, yeah. A, yeah. There's a label called Deus, D-A-I-S. Uh, I've got to t- chat with those guys a couple of times and they're, they're really, they care about the music. They, I mean, they've put out so much, like not only just, you know, like new bands like, uh, you know, Hyde and uh, Podblots and other bands, but they also like put out like, you know, Genesis Peorage. I mean, they passed away just recently, last year, I think. But they did some, you know, put out some work with with uh, with them. And um, I love what they're doing. Um, you know, there's other, you know, bands like uh, Ammon and Sniffers, this band from Australia. They're kind of like this punk band. Um, I love them. Uh, anything, I mean, really, honestly, anything like, especially if they've got a, a female vocalist that kind of has like an alto voice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude, oh, yeah. I am so into it. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's 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 so much, you know, great stuff. There's there's uh, heavy stuff. Uh, there's a band from Cleveland called Midnight. They're on Metal Blade. Uh, they're kind of they're a great band. They're kind of like a it's like Venom and Motorhead and a punk band. I mean, they're just they're yeah. Just I want to call it a throwback, but like when I hear them, I'm like, this is fresh though. Like it's weird Dude, how how fresh it is. There's so much like crappy throwback stuff. I mean, out there, there's no no doubt about that. Um, but those bands that stand up, you know, and stand out. I think Midnight is one of those bands. You know, that that do it really well and. Uh, they tour a lot. They work really hard. Um, yeah, they're just they're just a great band. They, I was at Psycho Las Vegas this summer. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see them. The, the, the whole virus thing was still, you know, st- and still is a problem. But uh, yeah. I was trying to be really selective about the bands I went to see. And they were playing in a room that was I just didn't feel comfortable. So I didn't go. But anyway, um, but they're a great band. I mean, uh, all their records are awesome. Um yeah, I mean, it's just, there's all sorts of stuff. I'm, that's one of the great things about streaming is I've kind of, you know, I love falling down the rabbit hole and finding, you know, new stuff um, that's completely out of my, you know, zone of what I would normally interact with. Yeah, and those algorithms are getting better and better. They are. Because yeah. even, even I, you know, used to think of myself as like a unique metal fan, you mm-hmm. know, but then like when I would listen to a band on streaming and then it would recommend me another band, I would like that band. And then mm-hmm. I would I would like the band that they recommended, you know, on top oh. of that and stuff. Like, yeah. They, well, they've so done these, amazing. Yeah, I mean, especially with like Deus Records, the electronic stuff. I mean, on streaming in particular, you know, electronic music, hip hop, those are really the key genres. And country music has become 
I work with, I work on the, the digital side of things too for North America. And so you get to see like the charts and what's, you know, what's popping off at some of these places. And um, especially when it comes to electronic music, I have found about electronic music. I mean, you know, the more uh, not just like EDM stuff, but like bands that are on dais and stuff like that. Um, but almost like it just feeds me stuff all the time that I just love, absolutely love. And some of the bands, you know, it's just like, oh, this is a good song. But then there's other bands like Choir Boy and Hyde and Drive, Drab Majesty and so many others, Body of Light, um, that I just love diving into and still, you know, yeah, it's 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 fun. I, I still I get so excited still about discovering new music. And I hope that I never lose that because um, music has been, you know, it, it's been a way for me to, like I mentioned in the beginning, you know, a way to connect with the world and, and see other people's points of view. And uh, it just connects with me on a level that I can't, and I'm sure everybody listening to this probably feels the same way. For sure. And, you know, in, in kind of wrapping up too, I recommend you guys obviously check out every single band that, that was mentioned here because you're going to have a lot to go with, you know, because this podcast is going to be over in like an hour, you know, in 50 minutes and you're not going to, you know, have, you know, any, anything else. So you need to check these bands out, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and enjoy and 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 you know let us know you know obviously uh, i feel like i have to say this for youtube let us know in the comments you know <laughs> like how you feel about some of these bands good bad or indifferent you know i like hearing other opinions um there mm -hmm. there wouldn't there wouldn't be a podcast if not for that so and i would have hated some of these bands 10 years ago honestly agreed it's just you know it's it's growing up it's uh opening my mind a little bit and um yeah i mean there's some of this stuff i would have been like this shit is limpy <laughs> this is <laughs> so garbage it's not brutal yeah. enough yeah, yeah. Dude, exactly, been there. yeah been there yeah 100 percent. if it wasn't heavy you know a few years ago it was like oh it's not for me roy thank you so much man this was absolutely this was great yeah yeah 100 percent. and um you know, I think I think with the nature of discography discussion, it wouldn't be crazy to assume that we might pick a band that you want to talk about with us uh, okay. at some point. So we, we will definitely make that happen. That'd be great. But uh, yeah, in wrapping up, man, th again, thank you so much for, for the time out of your evening. You know, time is valuable, whether we're all still staying at home or not. You know, like mm -hmm. I think that you know, t time is time is super valuable and these, these stories are valuable. And I think there's a lot of context here that I think, you know, makes the story make sense cool. in a way. Oh, so, nice. uh, so I really appreciate it. And, um, like I said, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll link to a lot of the, a lot of the bands releases that we talked about tonight. And, um, just so you guys can kind of hear them and get kind of, kind of an idea, but, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so, uh, you guys will probably see Roy again on the podcast at some point I'm, I'm volunteering. I mean, he doesn't have a, a choice. <laughs> so well, this uh, has been fun. I've, had, I've had a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Definitely. So, um, we will get, we will catch you guys next time. And, uh, I appreciate everybody that watched this live and anybody that's listening to the audio podcast. We really appreciate you and we will see you next time. This has been Discuss Metal with Roy Culver of Nuclear Blast Records. Presented by DiscussMetal.com.